Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today I'm chatting with the authors of The Very Nice Box, Laura Blackett and Eve Gleichman. Laura Blackett is a woodworker and writer based in Brooklyn, and Eve Gleichman's short stories have appeared in the Kenyan Review, the Harvard Review, Bomb Daily, and elsewhere. Eve is a graduate of Brooklyn College's MFA fiction program and lives in Brooklyn. The Very Nice Box, published by Mariner Books, comes out today, July 6th. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. And now, without further ado, pull up a seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Eve and Laura, the authors of The Very Nice Box. Eve and Laura, welcome to the Living a Life Through Books podcast. This is super exciting. My first time with a book with two authors have worked together to come with this creative effort. So tell me how that works with two brains coming in to make the very nice box. Yeah, um, it's a really good question. And we're also really, really happy to be talking to you. So thanks for thanks for having us on your podcast. Um, we've been friends for many years. And I don't know, you know, I always sort of felt like I wanted to collaborate with Laura on a, on a book. I was in Brooklyn uh, to get my MFA in fiction writing. Laura's a woodworker and we have collaborated on a number of different projects um, that have nothing to do with writing. So, you know, I, I kind of knew that we worked well together before jumping into this project together because, you know, it could be a disaster having, having two people working on a, on any kind of creative endeavor, but I sort of like had a gut feeling that this was going to work out well. And then maybe Laura, do you want to talk about the actual mechanics of, of writing this book together? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So once we decided to, to start this project, I think we were both approaching it from like a let's try, let's see how this goes kind of standpoint. And I think in the beginning, like, I think, you know, we weren't even sure how it would work co-writing, yeah. um, but we fell pretty quickly into a really nice rhythm with it. So the way we did it, um, kind of like from a mechanical standpoint is we would trade off chapters. So Eve would, would write one chapter, pass it to me. I would write another chapter, pass it back. And we just kind of went back and forth like that. And every time we would receive the other person's chapter, we would edit it and then, you know, add our own. And yeah, we did it all in a Google doc. And like, we kind of had an unspoken rule that like, you know, even though we were co-writing it and collaborating and obviously are really comfortable with each other that like only one person was allowed to be in the dock at a time. So yeah, that's, that's how it went. And at this point it's been through so many revisions and it's been kind of cut up and parts have been moved around and removed that like the, the chapter by chapter breakdown doesn't really hold anymore, but um, that's at least how we got our first draft out. Yeah, we don't, now looking at the book, it's really hard for me to say who wrote which sentence, let alone which chapter, um, because it really feels like a, 
I don't know, like I, that we've both edited, written, and revised, well, written and revised every yeah. every sentence yeah. together. Yeah, no, I couldn't tell. And then, you know, yeah. I didn't even know till the last minute. I was like, oh yeah, I'm interviewing them. And I looked at the book and I'm like, okay, what's the name of the author? I want to double check this. And I'm going, two authors. Wait, what? <laughs> and, and then it, I'm like, wait. And I double checked and then I checked with Taryn and she's like, well, there's two authors. I'm like, no, that's fine. I just was like, wait, I couldn't even tell. It was so seamless. That was wonderful. Yeah. So, that's okay. Good. So we, what's that? I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out that way. We were, we were really, we really wanted to make it, it feel cohesive and, and to, you know, just eliminate all the seams that might tip somebody off to the fact that two people had written it. Yes. So tell me about uh, the story. So Eve, you said, you know, you wanted to work with Laura and you feel like, well, let me collaborate with Laura. I think we'd work well. Okay, that's fine. Well, now we're talking <laughs> an actual story. Did you just yeah. come up with the story and thought of the idea or you're like, well, now I have this idea to work with Laura. Let me think of this. What do we work on? I think that the very first, if I kind of try to look back and remember what the sort of seed was that kind of, what, you know, that the story grew out of, I think at the at the beginning, we knew a little bit about the the characters. We knew a little bit about Ava and we knew a little bit about Matt and we knew about the world that we wanted the book to take place in. So I think Eve, Eve, Eve wrote the first chapter after um, visiting visiting me in my my office. I've I've worked in the tech industry for the past ten years, and my experience in that industry and in the in those sort of like kind of decadent tech workspaces inspired the setting for Stata. And so I think we had those those three things at the beginning, and we we had a lot of fun sort of thinking about how a person like Ava would interact with Matt and um, what would be appealing about him to her and what would be sort of repulsive about him to her. And and I think that that's kind of where it started. And I think there was, as far as developing the plot, I think that we there was a lot that we didn't know in the beginning. And we were trying to imagine their relationship, but we would get together for dinner like every week or every other week. And we would kind of plan out three to five chapters ahead. But I guess, I mean, Eve, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like my experience of, of actually creating the story, it was a little bit like exquisite corpse-like. I think there was a lot that we discovered along the way about characters and I don't know. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and and I think one really important factor in building this book together was that we were both extremely flexible. So we would have a plan, but usually, you know, if we if we planned three chapters ahead, I don't I don't think there was ever a time where we actually adhered to our plan. You know, like we were constantly veering off course and that willingness to accept changes to the itinerary, I think was a huge piece of, of writing something together successfully. Totally. Okay. Like, I feel like every chapter revealed new characters or ideas that we then kind of wrote into the earlier parts of the book. And just, it just, it all, it, it felt, I mean, it felt like a really surprising process. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, more about the story. Where did the, yeah. I mean, because the story is a rom-com and a thriller. You know, yeah. when Taryn said it's a rom-com and a thriller, I'm going, huh? <laughs> How do you get a comedy and then you convert it into a thriller? How did that come about? Yeah, I think we didn't know what it was until the very end. Um, we didn't set out to write a romantic comedy. We didn't set out to write a suspense or a thriller. And we didn't set out to write a satire. But I think that it is all of those things. 
I, I think that we knew that we wanted to write about a bad, oh, it's hard to, I want to make sure that I don't spoil anything. We could, do you want to do it with spoilers? Well, because I'm going to release this on pub day. We can do it okay. without spoilers or with spoilers. I haven't talked to Taryn no about spoilers. it. No spoilers. We're I gonna. No I spoilers. think we're going to try to do this with no spoilers. Yeah. No but, spoilers. Um, okay. No spoilers. spoilers. Yeah. Um, we wanted to write about the kind of straight white man that we have encountered in our lives. Like that we would sort of, we kept encountering again and again in our lives. And and I guess just to like pause on that, like, so even I, even I met because we were neighbors. I mean, I think maybe it would be helpful to talk about like kind of how we became friends and what we connected over during our like dinners and yeah. stuff. So even I met because we were neighbors, uh, we moved into the same apartment building at around the same time. And we became friends. Even invited a friend of mine who was staying with me to their housewarming party and my friend wanted to go and then dragged me along. And then even I met and became really close friends and we would trade dinners in the building. And I think that like the things that we would connect over really created sort of like a fertile ground for this project. So we would talk a lot of, I mean, a lot of the satire we would sort of talk about like the subway ads that we were seeing and the sort of crazy things that were going on in my workplace. And then also these interactions that we were having with men kind of like Matt, who sort of like take more than they give, have some sort of energy that feels really attractive, but also kind of alarming. And I, I think that even I would spend a lot of time unpacking our interactions with, with men like that. Yeah. And so we knew we wanted a man like that in the book. And the question was, what to do with him. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. And <laughs> there is a, a second part of what I was going to say, but it, but it contained a spoiler. But, but I, I think that when we thought of Ava and thought of like, who is the best person to put Ava in a room with to create something funny and dramatic and um, maybe suspenseful, it was that exact kind of guy, uh, sort of charismatic, bro-y, you know, like entitled kind of guy. And like definitely outside the bounds of, of what of who she would imagine herself being attracted to. And then I feel like kind of, I don't know if it's part of the suspense, but like it was really fun to figure out what parts of him she would become attracted to. You know, I think that like, it's not just that he's handsome, it's that he has this like ease about him. He moves through the world with so much confidence and and just kind of like, he's just with sort of like freedom that that's that was really attractive to her. I mean, I think because she wanted to be like him. Yeah, she wanted, she wants a lot of that for herself. So if someone asked you, what is this book about? What would you say? <laughs> um, I would say that it's about... I think we're going to have really different answers to this. So I would be curious uh, what you say about it. But I think it's about the lengths that we go to not face our past and to absolve ourselves of guilt. Mm. Mm. That's a really good answer. <laughs> yeah, now you go. <laughs> Laura, your turn now. Go. <laughs> um. I think it's about, I think it's about isolation and I think it's about, um, I think it's about isolation. Yeah, she, um, Ava, uh, both of them really, but Ava really lives a life of extreme isolation. And at the beginning of the book, she finds safety in that isolation. And I think over the course of the book, you really see how it's kind of eroded her, her life. 
yeah and her happiness or her chance of happiness yeah have you met characters like Ava in your in real life like people who are like okay how many units is this uh, podcast right now you know <laughs> that kind of a thing have you met people like this or so mechanical i felt ava in the beginning was mechanical for lack of a better word i think in some ways ava is kind of a combination of the two of us but with the volume turned way up in terms yeah. of her like various neuroses i think that I mean, things that we have in common with her are sort of like a love of, of order and kind of feeling soothed by, by putting things in, a, in their correct place um, design-wise, but also just kind of, I mean, yeah, now I don't think either of us is as regimented as Ava is or as kind of like laser focused, but the things that soothe her at least kind of soothe me, you know, she imagines like this screw head fitting perfectly and turning and it's just, that's, I think, um, you've mentioned in the beginning but I, woodworking is a hobby of mine and so I think a lot of the more like mechanical parts of her are, are things that I maybe brought to that character but we don't know anybody exactly like yeah her. No. she's pretty extreme yeah right right okay so a Eva had Ava Ava Eva Ava your Eve Ava okay <laughs> I'm like, oh, like ah okay Ava had a dog and I'm just curious because towards the end of the book there's this design for a cat I don't think that's really a spoiler part of you know she's designing something for a cat yeah I was just kind of I, I, I don't know I did, was that intentional or it's just it's like you know what I'm just gonna decide you know you're designing the very nice box series let's move to a cat box series or a yeah. cat series although well, you're I, a dog person right I think that like you know, that was sort of a way of giving her work that she would hate to do. You know, it was sort of in a part of the novel when she's, uh, I mean, I guess I, I don't want to give too much away, but when she's, right. when she's kind of sad and it's like the world is kind of against throwing, her, <laughs> the world is against her. And, and yeah. And, and suddenly work, which is this place of like safety, it's really her only world is the world of Stada. Like she really loves her job. And I think, and, and then, and then even that is sort of taken away from her. She's given this cat project, which she hates. And it's not what, they, what she's there to do. Right. So a lot of this uh, is not a lot of this. Is some of this intentional that, okay, we've taken this away from Ava. You know, we've got to create a character arc. All right, Laura, I've taken this away from Ava. Your turn. Well, let's take <laughs> this away from Ava. Okay. Well, you know, let's take this also, you know, as Ava's story arc and let's see where we end up with this. Or yeah, you just I mean, it's it's funny you say that because when we finished the book and started reading drafts of it, you know, I think Laura said to me, yikes, like we really put her through a lot. You know, her entire family is dead from a car crash. That's not a spoiler. That happens pretty right, early Right, right. That, that's the very beginning. Um, yeah, she, you know, like she has a, this major heartbreak. She... It's just, you know, and then and then yeah, towards the end, we give her this hor this this cat project. And and I think another thing to just to mention about the the cat the cat furniture assignment is that she's she's given that assignment by somebody who is who is replacing somebody else. Yeah, Oops. I, I I think that's okay to say, but that like it it really makes her um, miss him. And, and we really wanted to turn that sort of lovesickness up. Mm -hmm. um, but it's true that we put her through a lot and that we, some of it we planned 
in advance and some of it we you know just sort of happened in the moment as we we're writing the chapter and you know we just think like well unfortunately another bad thing is going to have to happen to her in this moment you know tell me about uh, Jamie's role throughout this book because mm. Jamie's just there it's just this character like in the background in the background is actually in the background throughout the book yeah he's tell kind of about- he's um it's Jaime. He, he, um, Oh, Jaime, is, sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Um, he's sort of the hero of the book in my mind. I mean, he's a loyal friend. He's incredibly smart. He has a good sixth sense about what's going on. He's also, he's also fun. His style is sort of maximalist. He's sort of the opposite of the Stata minimalist brand. He has really interesting ideas. I really like Jaime a lot. He's maybe my favorite character. Um, and he's, I, I, I really enjoyed, you know, pairing him with Ava, who's so minimalist and regimented and sort of closed off. I thought it was really um, that Jaime provided some relief to her character a little bit, or maybe some contrast to her character. But I want only good things for Jaime. Yeah, I think I, I was, I was thinking as we were talking, like, I think Jaime is one of one of our favorite characters for sure. I mean, I think he's the best one at Stada. It was hard to write their relationship because Ava doesn't treat him well. And I think that like, I don't know, that's important to remember. He's always there for her and she is kind of involved in her own, in her own stuff and in her own grief and in her own relationship. And he's really, he's really loyal and, and she doesn't treat him well. And that was, that was hard to write because we like him so much. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask, who's your favorite character? And <laughs> if you just said Jaime is your favorite character, so unless you want to change that answer, but who is your favorite character? So that would leave Laura. It looks like Eve doesn't want to change her answer. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep, keep my answer as Jaime. Hmm. I mean, Jaime, Jaime is, is definitely like the best one, um, but it was, I guess I'm going to kind of, answer the question sort of indirectly. I had the most fun writing that. I think he is, it was really fun to kind of explore like the different subtle and not so subtle ways that he is like problematic and kind of like what he does with his like charm and charisma is so interesting to me. And it was really fun to write him. It was, it was fun to write a bad guy for sure. So if you had to rewrite a scene over and over and over again, it's like, I just want to write the scene again and again. What would that be? Favorite scene? Oh, that's I have so a, fun. I have an answer. I have an answer too. I'm worried that our answer is the same answer, but. Answer. <laughs> um, okay, my answer is that um, uh, towards the end of the book, okay. it's the same. This is great. So Ava knows that Matt is part of this sort of self-help group for men. Right. And she doesn't know too much about it, but she knows it's very important to him. And she knows that he goes to these weekly meetings with other men and that they're working on some sort of self-improvement and that they have sponsors, almost like AA. But she doesn't know, she doesn't really know too much about what it is. And then he invites her to a good guys meeting and the group is called good guys writing that scene of when she sh- shows up to this good guys meeting was probably the most fun that I had writing the book I like was laughing while writing <laughs> while writing that chapter yeah really 
That's, I think it's also, so that well, actually that, wasn't what I was going to say, but I, my answer, I, that would be definitely a close second. So the answer that I would have is I really liked in the second half of the book, we see Ava kind of leave the world of Stada for the first time. Like she's, she's only ever at Stada and in the offices, I mean, or in, in her studio and in, you know, partway through the book, she has to kind of like go to a party and interact with people outside that world. And we see how uncomfortable she is. And to me, that was a lot of fun to write. Mm. And I would, yours was a close second, but because I feel like there were like endless opportunities to show this good guys meeting and how weird it was. And like, we, I feel like we could write that scene over and over and over again and come up with something different and equally like horrible every single time. And I feel that way about sending her to this kind of party where she feels really out of place. It's like any number of things could have happened there. And I kind of like, I feel like there was so much more to do with it. Mm -hmm. that I'm almost like, it almost feels like we had to kind of rein it in and yeah. I didn't want to rein it in. Right. So do you guys uh, foresee writing another book yeah. together? Or yeah. maybe not the very nice box, but the beautiful box? I don't know. I'm just like... <laughs> well, I, there won't be a sequel, I don't think, okay. to no. the very nice box. But we are working on a second book that's in a, in a slightly different world but not so far off. Mm -hmm. um, we're writing about a couple that I think could even own Stada furniture themselves. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and it's about this, a, a newly, a newly wedded couple and some unfortunate things that happen to them when they decide to uproot from the city and, and buy a place upstate. So I won't say more than that, but yeah, we've started this book together and it's really interesting too, to see like how our process has become a little bit more streamlined and we're just more in the habit of writing a book together. So mm -hmm. I'm having fun and excited for, this yeah. is kind of a, this is the new trend, huh? I don't know. I don't know anybody else doing it. No, that's why nobody does it. I mean, you guys are the first, I, I mean, I don't know. I I'm been following books for a bit, but yeah, this is the first for me. So. I think it's unusual and I think, I mean, I guess I think about like, whatever, we're not writing a TV show, but I think a lot of like, there, the idea of like the writer's room is, isn't like, a, isn't a new idea, but I think it is unusual um, in terms of, of writing novels. And I, I don't know, I think when we were first, when the book deal was first happening, we were considering publishing under a pseudonym. And I think we thought that the idea that it was co-written would feel strange or distracting or unappealing for some reason. But I think we were both really surprised to find, or I was surprised to find that like people were excited to sort of expand their idea about what authorship looks like. Um, and the publisher encouraged us to publish under, you know, using our, using our name. So I think we had an idea at first that we wouldn't do that, but now we're kind of leaning into it. This is, this is, this is really cool. So cover design. Yeah. Tell me, did you guys have any say in it? Uh, you know, how many versions did you go through it? I'm just really curious. What are your thoughts on the cover? I mean, obviously you're going to say you like it, but I'm just curious. I, I love yeah, we loved the cover and we were really worried that, that we wouldn't. So I couldn't be, in fact, we had a lot of say and I'm so grateful to our publisher for listening, you know, like to what we wanted. We we sent, you know, even when we were drafting the book, we had sort of an image at the top of the draft that was, it was like a design manual with just some boxes, like some, some cubes. And possibly some arrows. Yeah, maybe some arrows or screws or something. 
And it was just an image. It was, a, it was just the top of the, at the top of the page was this image just to sort of, for me, it was like to get me into the, the space of the, the book. And we put that on a Pinterest board along with many other images from instruction manuals. And, you know, like in my mind, I, I just, I really saw the difference. I, what they produced, it was like pulled right out of my head. Yeah. I don't know how they, how they mind read, except that they, they looked at our Pinterest board and they saw that we kept featuring the same artist over and over again. And that's the artist who designed the cover. Mm -hmm. So I am so grateful to them for seeing, seeing that and talking to him. And the artist's name is Tobitron that he agreed to, to do the cover. Yeah. Yeah. I same to all of that. I was just going to say that I, I think that the publisher was extremely generous with, with us. And like, I feel like we had a lot of say in the cover and they really, really listened to us. I I'm surprised by that and really grateful for that. Yeah. So tell me about the pink in the cover. The, I think <laughs> the most surprising thing about the cover other than the design was the color. I don't know why, but I'm just like, Hmm, pink. Okay. Let me try this. Yeah. I think I think that that particular pink is kind of like having a moment in in marketing and it kind of reminds me in some ways of the types of subway ads we kind of reference in the book like I can kind of see it as an object fitting into this world but yeah I think that that pink is sort of like on trend as they say is it millennial pink I don't think it's I don't think it's actually millennial pink, but it definitely, I think, is is communicating with millennial pink in some way. It's in conversation with millennial <laughs> pink. And what's funny is that ever since we got the book design, and I've been spending a lot of time with the book and that color, I have just sort of unintentionally painted a room in my apartment that color. I built a cabinet. I painted it kind of a similar color. Like it's it's now you know, in my, in my brain and in my creative process. Um, I've never been so happy to see the color pink before. Like, yeah. I don't own like, it. In any fact, I chose my, I don't know if you can see it, but it's a pink glass that I've chosen for myself. Okay. Here. Now I can see. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think I own anything pink besides this book. <laughs> so I'm happy to welcome it into my, you know, color. Uh, just be careful because soon everything you own will be painted yeah. if you're anything like me. Yeah, right. I mean, you can see the books back behind me here. I mean, and there isn't much this. Meaning, yeah, and I, I, is you that know, so? You're you're holding the 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 advanced readers copy, right? Not the yeah, yeah, yeah the so ARC. The, yes, the ah, hardcover has is the book itself is orange. Mm. The what and cover? Orange, like a like a bold orange color. The actual book? If you, yeah, if you take off the jacket, it's you're met with this bold orange color and, and end pages that are that same sort of like pumpkin orange. So they really went. Do you have it with you? Okay. Um, no, I don't. No? Okay, okay. All right, this is, that was, uh, no, I don't. Laura it's okay, does. I just wanted I to see, no worries, no, no worries. So what makes you happy? <laughs> Throw a question out there, question. you know. What makes me happy is, this is like, uh, it's going to sound corny, but it's true, but kindness makes me happy and being kind and receiving kindness and witnessing kindness makes me really happy. And I would like to think that we worked kindness in, even though the novel is satirical and suspenseful, I, I really hope that there's some warmth and kindness in the book too. And that even, even for the worst characters, we worked in a little bit of that 
empathy and softness and kindness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even with Ava for, I mean, by the end of the novel, I think that I was feeling really frustrated with Ava. You know, she wasn't treating Jaime well, who was really reaching out to her and trying to help her. And I think for, even for as frustrated as I think we both were with Ava, I think we were really kind of, we had a lot of compassion for her too. What makes you happy, Laura? What makes me happy? <laughs> yeah, she, um, she's trying not, to deflect. Not the question. <laughs> Eve, she's trying to deflect. Did you not see? She's just like. <laughs> yeah, it was skillful, but I. I, I yeah, I no, really good. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Being Eve's neighbor makes me happy. Oh. Uh, this collaboration makes me happy. But I also, I think also, what, I mean, this is kind of like a worse this is a worse answer than Eve's answer, I think, but like I, building things makes me happy and, and creating things like with my hands makes me happy. That's I like, not a worse answer. That's a nice answer. I like, I like sort of seeing like a space and imagining what is the perfect thing to fill that space, if anything, and making that happen. That's so cool. Yeah, I have zero ability to do what you do about the space. Mine is, my home's like a bomb went off, but I'm like, oh, well, I don't have the talent, too bad. Uh, so so speaking of talents, what is um, your secret talent? Oh, secret talent. Something well, people don't know about. So you can't say yeah. woodworking, Laura, sorry. Yeah, that's right in your bio. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> I'm a pretty good violinist. Really? Which, yeah. How yeah. long have you been um, playing? Uh, I started when I was really little, like when I was five. And... Um, yeah, one time you said that it was like the thing that you were the best at. Yeah, I think it's the thing I'm the best at. And I would say that it's definitely a secret because I've never heard Eve play. There I would go. like to. I would like to. Yeah. What about you? I mean, since I can't say woodworking, I don't really know what to say. Something people don't know that you're good at and you're just closet I have, good I have at an answer it. for you. Really? I don't know if I'm allowed to answer for Laura. I would love to know. I would love to know. Okay. I think Laura is the best problem solver I know. Like... Anytime I've brought a, a problem, no matter how small it is, you are there with like five different solutions to the problem. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I could, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know that I would feel allowed to say so, you know, but I'm glad that you think I'm. Why not? Yeah. You're allowed to say that you're good. Well, because if, you know, you're coming to me with a problem, you know, I, I don't know whether I've solved it. Um, you've solved a lot of my problems. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. Let's see, let's go back to the book and what parts of the book was challenging to write? I think the ending was was challenging. The ending was hard for me, at least. I think that maybe this isn't a good thing to talk about because of the spoilers, but like we knew sort of vaguely what we wanted to happen at the ending, but giving us enough space to kind of build the tension properly, I think was difficult. And if I am kind of remembering correctly that we spent the most time revising the ending and trying to sort of draw it out and make it kind of land right. Yeah, I, I think I found the, the biggest challenge to be letting Ava make bad decisions because I felt so close to her. And I don't know, I wanted her to, to, to be good you know like and she she's really flawed I mean she's really limited and she's really hard-headed mm -hmm. and just letting her be that way and allowing her to, to be this sort of flawed and sometimes problematic character I think that was a, that was it was hard for me to, yeah. to 
give up that control. Yeah. I, I mean, I, right. I remember having this conversation with you and we just sort of had to say like, Ava's not a hero. She's not going to be a hero. And I think that was hard to do, hard to kind of let her go and let her make these kinds of mistakes and be problematic in the ways that, because in the ways that she is, especially feeling identified with her in some ways, it was kind of, it was, it felt really, it felt really difficult to just sort of let her, let her go. So now that you have this book, tell me how that publishing journey went. Like, so you wrote the book, you guys fixed it and said, okay, this is great. Then what? Yeah, we, we got it to a point where we could not look at it anymore. Yeah. But we, we really hadn't shown it to many people at all. Maybe one or two readers. We, I, I felt like we had something really, really I, because I had so much fun writing it. I, I just felt that we had something really fun and engaging and exciting and sort of strange. Um, so we, at that point, we sent it out to agents and our amazing agent, Faye Bender, got back to us really fast. Um, and we, we got to talk to her about the books and about the book and what could happen between submitting it to, to publishers and that moment. And so she helped us revise, revise the book for a few more months mm-hmm. before we submitted it. And she had, did you she already had to... have the agent or did you have to look for an no, agent? No, we did not um, have the agent. Yeah. So, so we, we finished, we finished the first draft and we got it. We revised it as much as we possibly could. And then we sent it out and Faye, our agent was the first person who we didn't know to give us positive feedback about the book. You know, like we sent it to readers, but we knew, we knew the readers and they gave us like good critical feedback, but like they are our friends. Yeah. So we were like, maybe they're just being nice. Yeah. And so (laughs) Faye got back to us. I really like, I really feel like that was the moment where at least I was like, I knew that I really loved the book and it was just this extremely cool moment where I was like somebody else who has no obligation to love this book, loves this book that is the coolest thing. Yeah. And then, and I think, you know, her feedback and and the things that she saw that she wanted to kind of push and develop were all things that we felt like we agreed and we felt a little bit stuck about how to do it. And so it was really, really nice to hear like affirmation that the book was good and also affirmation that the things about it that weren't fully developed yet, you know, that we were on the right track to and thinking about our revision. That was very, very cool. Yeah. And we got to work with Pilar Garcia Brown at HMH, which is now called Mariner Books. Right. Um, and she also just saw what needed to be done in this yeah. like really clear way. Um, and she was amazing. And we, I'm trying to think now because like we never, because of the pandemic, we never got to like all of our edits with Pilar were kind of done in the same Google Doc mm. that we had been using in the first place to revise. And like, we right. weren't really able to get together physically <laughs> at all. And so she was really amazing through that whole process of, you know, just being a really supportive, smart editor, even though we couldn't, we couldn't be together. Yeah. So you had your agent, did your agent have an editor? And then you had an editor with Mariner or just no, one she, editor with Mariner she, and that's it? No, so so our agent Faye Bender gave us ideas to revise the book. Um, we did, and then once it was at a point where the, where the three of us, Laura and Faye and me, felt like it was as we, there, was, there was nothing more we could do to like tighten the screws. She submitted it to a big handful of editors, and yeah, there was there was interest from a few, and then we ended up selling it to uh, Pilar. 
So yeah. it actually went to auction. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It sold in an auction. It was very exciting. It was like my cortisol was through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> I was also at that time driving to Texas. So I was like on a road trip. And so I would like pull over and get updates about the auction and what was happening. And like, I was, <laughs> I was just like driving eight hours a day and also having this going on. And it was just an extremely exciting time. Yeah, there was something unreal about it. And I still kind of feel that way that it's like, are you sure? Like, are you sure this book is coming out? Like when we got the, the final yeah. copies of the book, it's like, are you really like, this is really yeah. happening. And um, we've, I felt that along when we landed with Faye and when the book sold and that getting the cover design and getting the actual the galleys and then the hard copy at each of those points, I'm like, really, this is like, it feels so unreal and it, and I just feel so so lucky and so grateful and, and happy that this project that we worked out kind of privately and in the you know like in the dark is now seeing the light. That's beautiful. So tell me more about the auction. I know you said you were driving eight hours going to Texas. What is that pro- like what happens for the from the author's point of view? What do you get to see? You know, like when I think of an auction, I think of an auction block, you know, selling for, you know, $100. I mean, I'm, you know, someone raises the hand, no, 110, now it's 110, 110. Someone else raises the hand. And, you know, yeah. like that's what I think in terms of auction, but this is a book auction. Right. What is Luckily, it? Tell me what happened. Like, I don't know. So tell me. Luckily, all of the information we were getting about the sort of the, the auction and the business dealings were filtered through Faye. So, okay. Faye would send us an email saying so-and-so is interested, so-and-so is also interested, and then she helped us set up meetings with all of them, and we took meetings with all of the editors. Before um, the auction. We right, before the auction. And then, yeah, I mean, I think there's like a, there is a deadline for when their offers can come in, and we just were waiting for that deadline, and then one really nice thing uh, about this process was that Faye also kept all bad news away from us. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> like we were not, we weren't really getting emails that so-and-so was not interested. We yeah. were getting emails that- It was all good news. Yeah. <laughs> um, by design, you know, like, but it was, you know, the period of between when she submitted the book to editors and when we started hearing about interest was really hard. I mean, it's so hard to wait and it's so, you know, with like a day would go by and it's like, oh, God, what does this mean? You know, it's just like, it can be really sort of distracting to the point of debilitating mm-hmm. when, when you're just waiting for, for good news. So yeah, it was very, very exciting. But I think, I think sort of structurally, it was not like the sort of paddle raising type. Right. Art, uh, no. It was like, there was a deadline. All of the offers had to be in by the deadline. And so am I remembering that right? And yeah, then, and right. then, and then we had them. Right. So it's kind of like, kind of sort of like buying a house like several kind people of, right? make like a best and final situation offers yeah, I mean, on the house like, and then um yeah I I work in publishing and have seen a lot of these happen and sometimes they happen over the phone so an editor will call the agent with their offer sometimes it happens through email usually I think at this point it happens through email there's a deadline and yeah, it's not, it's not like all the editors gather in a room and, and duke it out. <laughs> Although I would have watched that too. Totally. Um, with swords and everything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the nicest part about it for us, or for me, was getting to talk to, you know, each editor that was interested because each editor had a, a, a really fascinating and smart 
take on the book and ideas about revision and cover design and marketing, you know, like the whole package. Mm -hmm. And so it was really fun to, to talk to them before the auction happened so that that was part of the decision making. It wasn't just about money. It was about who we really clicked with and whose ideas we liked the best. Very cool. Tell me about uh, your reading, your uh, reading from childhood to now, how it's changed. How has your reading influenced your writing? Yeah, I read a lot as a kid and I read a lot now in part because my job necessitates reading a lot. My day job is that I'm a book scout and that means that I I read books and recommend them to publishers in foreign countries who might be interested in, in buying translation rights to them and then also to production companies and networks and, and stuff like that in case they are interested in adapting for for film or for TV. So my job, <laughs> it really is like a lot of reading. And that is kind of amazing. I mean, I do, I do reading in my spare time too, for pleasure, but most of the reading I'm doing is actually for work. And it's, um, I feel really lucky. And, and I'm reading books that have, you know, that are, that are just selling to, to publishers. So they're early drafts. So I, it's, it's really fun to see a first draft of a, of a novel and then like see it in a bookstore a couple of years later and see what's it's changed. But yeah, yeah that's what about nice you? Story. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I was really into reading like nonfiction and, and humor essays. I was really into like David Sedaris and sort of nonfiction, like Joan Didion and things like that. And in college, I started reading poetry a lot. I was a, a poetry major. And so that was kind of where I was for a little while. And since graduating, like admittedly, my, my reading for pleasure has taken a little bit of a nosedive. Um, but I work as a technical writer. And so I am reading all day, but it's definitely not, it's definitely not fiction. And I would say like, yeah, especially in these past couple of years writing the book, mostly what I've been reading is our book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot, Eve. Mm -hmm. You're a book scout. Are you able to distance yourself from the very nice box and look <laughs> at it from the point of view of a book scout? I try not to as best I can. I mean, you know, when when the book was on submission, I took weeks off a couple of weeks off work so that I wouldn't you know see anything about it you yeah. know like I I really like to keep those worlds very separate I feel like during that time you exercised a huge amount of like self-restraint I can't like because you could have like you could have you know taken a mic uh, magnifying glass to any part of the process and you were just like I'm not going to do that yeah I, I didn't want to when we were writing the book I didn't want to think about it in terms of like saleability or like, would, how would this translate in other markets? That to me is like not an interesting question when you're writing a, a book. You know, that that would have, I think, killed the creative process if, if I was worrying about whether it would make a good TV show or whether, you know, that, that really wasn't, I really tried to have only the characters in mind and Laura in mind when, when, write, when writing the book. And then when it was in the submission process, really just trying to take that scouting hat off and, and keep it as separate as possible. Now, what are your um, top three favorite books of all time? Ooh. Oh, God. Wow. I think that my favorite book of all time is The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith. And actually, when I think about this book, The Very Nice Box and The Price of Salt, there's they have more in common than I, than I realized at first. But like The Price of Salt is a romance, but also a suspense. Um, it's queer, obviously. And I had that book sort of running in my mind a little bit as we were as we were drafting. I also love Murakami and especially his short stories. I don't know that I could pick 
one one of his short story collections to be my favorite, but I I love Murakami. And ooh, a third one, you know, uh, it's like choosing your favorite cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy for me. I don't like cats. <laughs> Um, yeah, I have, there, there are four cats living in this house right now. So, um, you know, when I like maybe the, the, the books that like evoke the most feeling for this sounds silly, but are like childhood books, like George and Martha, or, you know, those like hippos, like, I don't know, like these, like these books that when I see them, I have this sort of like visceral, um, you know, like I, there's so many books that I love. I love Philip Roth. I love Mary Gateskill. I love, you know, um, but the ones that just like really pull it, pull at my heart are, are these like really, really, um, you know, like Eric Carle books or, or picture books from, from my childhood. It's really sweet. Oh, what about you, Laura? Yeah. I mean, I can't say that these, these books were sort of like influenced the very nice box. So I feel almost reluctant to bring it up, but I've, you know, as Eve was talking, I was kind of going through my bookshelf. And I think if I had to choose, I would go with Blue Knights, Joan Didion, The Argonauts. And then I, I, I don't think I could choose one book of poetry by Kay Ryan, but I'll just go with like the anthology, the best of it. Very, very, very cool. Okay. Last question. You guys ready? This is a tricky one, and it's hard because both of you are in the same room, but uh, describe your book in three words. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so difficult. I want more than three words. Um, you don't get, you only get, you only get, you get three. three words. Okay. Uh, fun, satirical, suspenseful. That was kind of close to mine. I was going to say satirical, romantic suspense. Mm. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Well, my friends, you did, you guys did phenomenal. This is great. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that you you wish I'd have brought up that you're like, gosh, I can't believe she didn't ask me this. (laughs) No, I don't think so. I'm was, you know, I'm so it's, it's been so fun to talk to you and your, your questions are like so surprising and, and fun and thought provoking. I'm, I'm just thrilled. I'm so, so happy we got to talk to you. Thank you so much. And wasn't that fun? I just loved the chemistry and I can see why they write together so well. But anyway, check out the very nice box. It should be available at your local bookstore. Upcoming episodes, I have Dr. Adam Stern, the author of the memoir Committed, coming up next week. And uh, Merida Books has been so kind to me, and they sent me three books that are coming out in August. And I'll be working on scheduling the author interviews for those. I'll keep you posted as I record the conversations. I don't want to mention a name until it's a sure thing. So, as always... Stay tuned. Before I go, if you are on the audio app Clubhouse, please look up my name and follow me there. I'll be happy to do a room with you. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm, lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your local favorite bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from bestsellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. 
Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code L-L-T-B podcast. With every listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the links in the show notes. If you love this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. Join the conversation with me on the audio app called Swell. My tag on Swell is at Bookish Podcast. It's a different kind of audio app, but it's still a good way to reach me. My website is shanazahmed.com. That is S H A H N A Z A H M E D dot com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. <laughs> <laughs>